This morning we're looking at the lost, and a small disclaimer, chapter 24 of the story, which is what we're in this week, covers a lot. It covers the farmer and the seeds in the ground. It covers the lost items. It covers the neighbor, who is my neighbor, and blessed are the meek, the mourning, etc. The Lord's Lord's prayer, worrying about whether you're going to wear something or not. There's a lot in chapter 24. But I didn't think you wanted to be here for three hours. So instead, we're cutting it down to just looking at chapter 15 of Luke. So um, he provides us with a number of insights into very familiar events. So let's hear the word of God. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father, he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, we ask that you will come by your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds, that we might hear with fresh ears and with an open heart what this passage has to tell to us. And we ask that you will 
accept our hearts and my words. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So, I don't know if you caught when Jack was reading the story at the beginning that the basic question is from Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they basically asked Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? And Jesus responds to that question. Now, I don't know if you noticed in verse 3 it says, then Jesus told them this parable, not these parables, not a bunch of parables, but one parable. Because all of them answer the question, why does Jesus eat with sinners? So let's take a look at them. The first one is about the sheep. Now, sheep were important to the nomads and to the um, agricultural life of that day because that was their basic meat. That was who they had as flocks. That was how they gathered um, their wealth. And if you stop and remember, who was a shepherd? Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. There are lots of the characters and the persons we have studied in the Old Testament through the story. And many of them were shepherds. Now, the shepherds obviously take around the sheep. But sheep get highly agitated if they get separated from their group. When they're faced with danger, their natural instinct is to flee, not to fight. Psychologists tell us that if we're threatened, there are usually two responses. We can fight or we can flee. Uh, The sheep don't have two. They have one. It's flee. Because their strategy is to use avoidance and rapid flight to avoid being eaten. They know they can't, you know, protect themselves against the lions, but they can run. And they can run very fast. So the shepherd is out there, and he loses one of his sheep. And he wants to go and find it. So he leaves 99 in the open country, figuring they're going to stay together. And he goes and finds it, puts it on his shoulders, and brings it back. The shepherd here is a picture of how God actively seeks out the lost. Notice that there's no grudging about it. There's no um, grumbling. Rather, God is receiving the lost. He searches after them. And it's a complete alien thought to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What they believed was that the more righteous you were, the closer you were to God. And because they were more righteous than other folks, and they had diligently sought God, and others had not, they were the ones who were going to get into heaven. But instead, Jesus here is saying, no, God seeks the lost. And more than that, when God finds the lost, there's rejoicing. Notice how the shepherd calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. He wants not only to have his own joy, but he wants to share the joy with others. And that's what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders. That, okay, maybe you're not a sinner, or maybe you don't admit you're a sinner, but when one repents... You shouldn't say, no, we're not going to accept him, but rather rejoice and welcome him as a friend and as part of the community. So that's the first story. Now, the second story is about the coin. And actually, it has a very similar kind of meaning. But this time, it's a woman. And she has ten coins and loses one. 
But notice that the coins are silver coins. It's not one of our copper pennies that you may walk over on your way to Vaughn's or Ralph's or wherever. You know, we tend to drop pennies and not bother to pick them up. However, for the woman, these are silver coins, and she is looking very much for them. So we have the sheep that has been found, and now we have the woman. And notice how the woman is looking underneath, because she's probably swept, you know, the regular area, and she still can't find it. And so she searches diligently and carefully until she finds it. And then, when she finds it, what happens? She calls together her friends and neighbors and asks that they rejoice also, because she has found the coin. She has been seeking the lost. And again, Jesus invites the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and all his hearers to come and rejoice that something has been found. Notice that the sheep could probably bleat out. You know, they could make their displeasure unknown. But the coin can't do anything. It can't flip itself out of the crack or make a cry And it's all up to the woman and her diligence to be able to find the lost object. And so that's one of the things that's being emphasized here. Neither the sheep nor the coin can do anything to save themselves. But instead, the finder is the one who saves them. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who offers his grace to us. He doesn't reprimand the sheep for straying. He doesn't think less of the coin because it has rolled away. But rather, he holds onto it and says, Rejoice, for what was lost is now found. And then we come to the third one. Now, when we look at the third one, it seems like maybe God is passively waiting for us to return. After all, the shepherd and the good woman go after their lost items. But... Neither of the audience can do anything to find themselves. And yet here on his own, it seems that the prodigal son comes or finds himself and heads home from a far country. Is that right? Well, let's back up just a little bit. First of all, we read that he asked for his inheritance. Now, in traditional Middle East culture, he would have brought shame, not to mention the hardship of having to divide up all the tangible property and the working assets of a family business. And the request for the inheritance severs the relationship between the father and the son. Because the son is actually saying to the father, I wish you were dead and I had my stuff. And the father graciously gives it to him. And yet the relationship is broken because he has done the unthinkable asking for something that he wasn't really entitled to. But the father, no matter how impossible or godlike it seems, he goes ahead and grants the son's request. But still the relationship is broken. And so the son goes off, has a great time, and then ends up feeding the pigs. Now if you know anything about kosher laws, you'll know that pigs are not kosher. They are not something that the Hebrew people would have eaten. It was something that was forbidden in the Mosaic law. And yet here he is. He's obviously serving a Gentile because the Gentile is raising pigs. 
And he's helping raise the pigs. But more than just helping, he doesn't even get food. Even the food that's given to the pigs, he's starving. No one gave him anything. Now, then we come to verse 17. And in the NIV, it says, when he came to his senses. Well, Middle Eastern and Arabic translators translate a little bit different. They translate it as, the son got smart. He thought to himself. He took an interest in himself. They would not have thought of the son of repenting and returning to the father. Instead, the prodigal son develops a way to get himself out of a mess. He knows he's in a problem. He knows that he needs to find some way to eat. But he comes up with this plan. And the plan is that he's going to manipulate his father. The father's obviously going to be very angry when he comes back. Um, He's going to manipulate his father and say, you know, I have sinned against heaven and earth. But he doesn't really repent. It's like saying, oh, I sinned. Yeah, but I'm still going 75 on the freeways. You know, it's not a repentance. It's simply a statement. And so he comes back to the farm to convince his family that he should be hired as an apprentice. Notice he's going to try to work his way out of his problem. He's not accepting any kind of grace. He wants to work his way into the favor of his father. But the father isn't just sitting in the house waiting to hear what the lost son had to say. Instead, he gives himself in costly love by running to the edge of the village. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but usually people in um, that time had long clothes on. They usually came to their ankles or, or to the ground. And for, for those of you who are women, you know it's really hard to run in a long skirt if you've ever tried it. You know, it's really hard. Guys, you just have to take my word for it. But it's hard. And yet the father is going to run. Well, in order to run, he's going to have to hitch up his clothes, at least probably to the knee, which again is another embarrassment because you never showed your ankle or your calves in that time. But the father loves the son so much that he is running to the son at the edge of the village. Now, the son has a choice when he sees his father coming. He can still insist that he will work off the debt and he will pay what's needed so that the problem is solved. That's one option the son has. The other option is the son can surrender to the grace and accept being found just as the sheep and the coin were found. And so, in fact, that is what he does. He tries to talk his father into saying that he's unworthy, but he never gets to actually finish it. He says that I'm unworthy to be called your son, but he never gets to the part of make me like one of your hired men, which is what he had thought. Instead, the father cuts him off and says to the servants, quick, bring all of this stuff that designates him as a son of the um, proprietor. And then the father says, let's have a feast. Let's celebrate because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. It's 
as if the father is celebrating the fact that one has returned. Just as the shepherd and the woman celebrated the fact that something lost had been found, so here the father is celebrating something that has been lost is now found. Now, I don't know how much you can actually see of this picture. It's a very famous one painted by Rembrandt. Um, it hangs in the Hermitage in um, St. Petersburg. And it's called the Prodigal Son. You'll notice that um, there's the father, and he's the one who's leaning over with his hands out. And then there's the son who's kneeling. And then there are some others around him. And then notice the figure on the extreme right with the um, cane. That's the elder son. And notice how he's looking on. And quite frankly, he doesn't look that happy, does he? No, he doesn't. You see, because the father is willing to make a costly demonstration of his unearned love. The father is very gently placing his hands on the shoulders of the um, son. Notice how it's almost an embrace, even though the father is still standing. But the father bends over as if welcoming the son to come to him. He doesn't ask the son to repay the debt. He doesn't ask the son to come and serve him. Instead, he just extends his unmerited grace. Now, the son is not in all that good shape. You see here, this is an, um, a little bit of an uh, expansion of the son's feet. The son was so worn out that he didn't even have full sandals. The son's feet are toughened from having gone barefoot, probably. And he kind of had shoes, but not really. Because he was so destitute. And yet the father is welcoming him. And yet the father is extending to him the grace that is available to all who are lost, to all the sinners. Jesus is trying to answer the question, why do you eat with sinners? And he's saying, because I want to extend the unmerited grace. Well, that's all well and good except for the elder son. Now, the elder son has been a good son. He's the one who, um, when the father comes out, starts almost, I can imagine, yelling at the father. Because he says, why didn't you have the son pay back all the money he lost on prostitutes? He hasn't paid anything for his, son, for his sins. That's what the law requires. But that's not what the father requires. The father says he was lost and now is found. But the father again is willing to offer the costly demonstration of unearned love. Only now it's offered to the law keeper rather than the law breaker. The father leaves the banquet and entreats the older son and offers him the same kind of costly grace. Unfortunately, that's where the parable ends. We have no idea if the older son decides to accept it or not. Now, there's an old um, praise song that Ed is going to help us with um, that I think has 
a certain message for those of us who are older sons. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. But still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. That is what is being given to us. Thank you, Ed. Because we have the opportunity to gladly choose God now. Because a treasure awaits us. A treasure awaited the elder son. But we don't know if he accepted it or not. So Jesus is answering the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Why does he associate with sinners? Because God naturally wants to recover the things he's lost, just like us. God goes out and actively looks for them. He's not some grim authority patriarch up there, but rather a loving father who will do anything to bring the lost, to bring us back to him. And these also say we can't earn our way back. God has paid it all and at great personal cost. And yet he is constantly looking, taking on the role of a servant, waiting to run to us and freely offer his grace to us, to freely offer the grace to all who are lost. Are you lost? Do you know someone who is lost? How can we offer them God's grace? Well, there are two ways. One is to be hospitable, and the other is to pray for them. Because all who are lost have the opportunity to choose him now. And when we accept his grace, he then sits down at the table with us and eats to seal that reconciliation. Let's pray. God, we are glad that you seek out the lost. We are glad that you have sought each one of us to bring us back to you. And we pray for those who we think of now who are also lost and ask that you would reach out, that you would run to them, that you would offer their grace. And we ask God that if it is your will that we might be instruments to help in bringing the lost back to you. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.